Welcome to the CFOleader.com podcast, where we provide practical and tactical knowledge for the modern CFO. I'm privileged to be joined by Kevin McKenzie. Thanks, Kevin, for joining us. Thanks, Anthony. Really appreciate it. Excited to be here. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about running your finance department the right way or a way, right? Obviously, there's multiple different ways to run a finance department, yep. but um, I think uh, having perspective from someone who's obviously run is running a finance department very well. There's obviously knowledge to be gleaned. Um, you know, Kevin McKenzie is the CFO of Simple Nexus, in which I should note that they just raised a recent, uh, I believe it was Series A round of funding of 109. Is that correct? Series B. Yep. Series B, right. Yep. Series B, 109. So that's that's very impressive. Um, Kevin, why don't you take a couple minutes and just uh, introduce yourself? Yeah. Thanks for, again for having me, Anthony. It's a pleasure. You know, Anthony and I got to meet through some roundtable discussions. And so appreciate the opportunity. Uh, my background's really been more of the FPA route. You know, you have CFOs that kind of come up through financial accounting or through FPA. Mine's been more of that FPA route. So very much enjoy the strategic finance and, and those types of things. And, uh, but, you know, been a controller uh, for a couple of companies and, and uh, you know, it's just part of the gig. You have to know that kind of stuff. Uh, so now I work for Simple Nexus, as you mentioned. Um, Simple Nexus is a mobile first platform that um, really streamlines the home ownership journey. So from finding a home to closing on the home, our, our goal is to really just make that a seamless thing for the borrowers, the lenders, and everyone in between. So, uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about me and been with Simple Nexus for about two years. Um, really, really love the company. It's a great culture and uh, we're really excited about what we're doing. That's great. And given, I mean, the national, uh, how the market is for the housing market, I got to send that Simple Nexus has got to be doing pretty well. And there's probably a high demand for your product right now, given the market market conditions, right? Yeah, no, we, we feel very fortunate. It's, uh, you know, like you said, it's, you know, with COVID and everything like that, it was a lot of unknowns at the beginning of next year or last year. And again, feel very fortunate. Our customers have done well and, and that's obviously helped us as well and we're hopefully our products are helping them be more efficient and and get those things done so yeah we, we feel pretty fortunate like i said that's great all right well let's dive into it so running a finance department so if you want to be a cfo of a company you got to you know, and be a strategic partner with all the other executives. Number one is you have to run your department and keep your house in order, right? And so running yeah. your own finance department, making sure it's a well-oiled machine, providing you the data in an accurate and timely manner is obviously very important. So, you know, on this podcast, we're going to focus on, you know, tactical aspects of things you can do to make your finance department run better and use uh, obviously your team, Kevin, as an example. Uh, obviously there are other ideas are out there that, uh, to do this, but I think we're going to learn a little bit together and hopefully from each other about uh, some tips and tricks on there. So um, the, I, I think the first question that I want to kind of dive into a little bit and, and just touch on this, um, it just from a personal experience is that I, I think, which is probably more common than, than most is this concept of financial guilt, right? Which is this idea that you're looking at the books every day, you're looking at the cash flow projections and this and that. And, you know, um, if you're fortunate, you know, your company is growing aggressively and you maybe have cash to spare, but for many companies, that's not the, that's not the issue. There's a strain, a natural strain that, a, that accompanies every business. And I, I realized, you know, in my, my past, you know, it, it was very hard for me to ask for help right? Because I wanted, you know, I, I knew that, you know, uh, a hire in finance may mean that we don't hire someone in sales or, or on the product side or whatnot that could hopefully help the business get into a, a better position. But there is a reality that as a head of finance, there is an expectation that you are supposed to deliver a certain amount of, of service and value to the company in general, right? And that is not 
necessarily just uh, making sure that payroll gets out the door, right? <laughs> There's a strategic element. And if you get overwhelmed by the tactical, you uh, suffer as being, you suffer the risk of, of being perceived as just a tactical person, right? And not offering that strategic element that many CEOs and executive teams crave, right? Because you're just so busy making yeah. sure that the time trains are going on time. So I'm curious if that's something that you've kind of dealt with in your, your experience and how you've dealt with that. For sure. No, and it's, it's, it's a, it's a constant battle. Cause like you say, you, you, you're preaching to the, you know, everyone that, Hey, you got to make sure you watch your costs and you're efficient and those kind of things. And, and then, you know, but what I think you have to flip it on his head a little bit is a lot of people look at, and it is, you know, GNA is a cost center. And so it's, is it really generating any revenue and those kind of things? No, but does it drive, you know, new insights and, you know, to your point, like, Hey, could I hire another salesperson? What could I make the entire sales team more efficient if I had an analyst or if I had more time to spend on what are the metrics saying and how can I give helpful input, right? So I think you have to kind of weigh all those things together. It can't just be a very siloed, you know, dollars and cents type of a thing. And, and it's, it's tough, right? We have a hard time. That's why sales reps, you know, tend to make the most money is they have the very direct connection between I bring this value and so I get, and it's really easy to do the other side, right? You didn't bring in the quota, so you didn't get paid. It kind of goes both ways. And so it's, it's finding that balance. I think of, you know, are you spending so much time creating reports that you don't have time to say what, you know, look at them and, and see what they mean. I had an analyst come to me once. He brought this piece of paper basically in my office and slid it across. And I said, well, what does it mean? He says, I don't know. I didn't, I, I haven't, I haven't had time to look at it or really do anything with it. And I pushed it back. I said, Oh, bring it back and let me know when you, you know, you have what, tell me what it means and what we should do with it. Mm-hmm. And so getting that mindset of we're out of the report generation, we're out of the creation, you know, just pulling the data together. And that may be different things, software, more people, there's, there's myriads of ways of solving that. But if you're spending the time on what does it mean and how am I creating valuable insight into the business? And I think, you know, if you're not able to do that, I think that's a great starting point or a litmus test to say, might make sense to grab somebody because at the end of the day, that's really the, where the value add comes. Computers can put that stuff together and software can pull that stuff and people. Mm-hmm. But if you're not able to spend that time, you, you may end up just costing your company more money because you're not really driving the value add to the company. Right. And I, I think it's something that you, you kind of touched on, but something that I, that I've kind of evolved my thinking on is, is that I I think a successful CFO has a healthy appreciation um, for value and what I call perceived value. Okay. Because um, you know, and I, I, for, I'll give you an example, right? No one, people in today's modern age, nobody walks into a building with the lights on and marvels that the lights are on, Right. right? They expect the lights to work. Right. Uh, however, if you walk into a building and the lights go out, you know, people lose their minds and it's a big issue, right? I think there are very similar parallels to the finance world. And that's just the reality of what we end. Like people, for example, payroll. Payroll can take a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of cost to make sure that it's correct, that it goes out on time. But the reality is, is that there isn't a lot of perceived value in payroll. It's just something that people expect to work, right? Yep. And so, you know, when you're when you're thinking about financial, this concept of financial guilt and what you're supposed to be doing as a CFO, 
um, you know, when I join a company, I, I like to make a list of kind of my minimum viable product is what I like to call it of, of what am I supposed to bring to the table as a CFO. And there's a mix between my value added services and my perceived value. The perceived value are the most important because that's really what, you know, when a, when a chief executive officer or a board is evaluating your performance is what's going to give you the most bang for your buck in terms of, wow, this, you know, Kevin is, he is bringing value to this company. He is helping us, you know, you know, being a leader and direct this company in a, in a good direction. But, you know, if you're focused on purely tactical and you find that you're doing all of the low value added services, then you're headed for trouble, right? Because you're the, the value add concept there just isn't there. And you run the risk of either getting replaced or bring having someone being brought above you that can fulfill that value added concept. And so that's, that, that's the way I like to think of it is, you know, when I, whenever I'm at a company, I'm always constantly reevaluating my balance between the value and the perceived value. And if I feel that they're out of balance and I'm not able to fulfill the value added services because I don't have enough team or for whatever reason, whether it maybe it's an inefficient software that I have or, or whatever, I, I know that there's a change that has to happen because otherwise yeah. I'm not fulfilling my duty as CFO. Right. Would yeah. You I think you're that? dead on. And I, I love that you said you're constantly reevaluating, right? I think mm -hmm. You know, this concept, when you first come in, it may be, there may be a certain things, and, you know, in the case of Simple Nexus, there was some needs on some reporting and, and, and getting some of those things moving. And it wasn't that the, the prior team was incapable. They were, I mean, I have a very capable team. They're amazing, but it just the time, right? So then mm -hmm. like I needed to get the reports rolling and now it's moving to the strategic planning. And like you say, just those I think you're dead on with creating that list and, and making the difference between the two. I make the joke at work or with my team, the audit takes a lot of time, right? It's effort and it's painful and we get it done and no one says a peep, right? <laughs> yeah. right? It's just, it's just the right. nature that no one cares that this day, no one yep. cares until it's not done to your point. No one cares right. the lights aren't on, are on until they're off, right? Right. No one cares the audit's done until it's not done. Right. So there, there are those things where you're just like, Hey guys, it's just, part of the gig, there's some things that we're not going to get celebrated on, although it took a ton of work and a ton of time. People are just say, right, good, you know, move yeah. on kind of a thing. So, and so I think it's, it's understanding that, that, that I like, yeah, you say, you know, between perceived value and, you know, calling value add and making sure that those are in alignment. Cause yeah, again, same thing, payroll, no, like people are going to lose their minds if you're not having, you know, payroll's not done. So it's right. It's no one cares until it's not done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I love your your comment about the audit because I, whenever we have like our company wide readings and like the whole company's there and we're, um, you know, it's in early January. I, I always joke. I do the same joke every year. I'm just like, hey guys, it's it's Super Bowl time, and everyone's looking at you know, like, what do you mean? It's just like, yeah, it's it's audit time, right? It's the audit. It's the Super Bowl of the finance world, right? It's the battle of the titans, right? And I just I make a big joke of it, but it gets a couple laughs and a couple eye rolls as well. But you you gotta have fun with it, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. all right, so let's dive in a little bit deeper. So from your perspective, how do you know if your finance department is running efficiently? What's the metrics and case? APIs that you kind of think of um, when evaluating and assessing the performance of your team? Yeah, I think I think looking at those those time to complete is is helpful, right? So what what are some of the key metrics for the finance department in general, right? How are we doing on collections? What's our days to close? Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how are we doing on reporting? Is that coming out on a timely basis, you know, when it's expected or maybe a little early? You know, if that starts to slip, it just becomes a conversation. And I think you have to, you have to be careful too, because 
you don't want to come across as accusatory, but just, Hey, I'm going to understand. Do, do you have all the bodies and people and things and resources you need to get this done? And again, it could be software, you know, it could be a piece of software that helps, you know, manage that or push it through. So, you know, we like to do a lot of Kaizen events and, you know, I really tip of the cap to my team. They just do such a great job of saying, man, this just is not work. This is not the right way to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think really looking at some of those metrics and just keeping your, your pulse on it. You know, for me, it's a lot of regular check-ins. So I think you and I have talked about this a little before, but, you know, weekly closes, you know, we also have a weekly touch base on AR and I'm not saying anything new. I'm sure other people are doing this too, but you really get a pulse and a sense for how things are going. If it still starts to feel like that's, you know, a stress or starting to, to struggle, I think you really kind of get a sense of, okay, are A, are we efficient or B, do we need another body? to help, you know, make sure that this continues to be value add type things versus, you know, or perceived value add type things versus just, you know, things we have to do. Right. I've always, always viewed it from, from my perspective is I'm, I've always been in favor of progress over perfection, right? I'm always, yeah. um, you know, when I come into a team and I'm, I'm, I'm running a finance team, I, you know, I kind of just assess, well, where are we at right now? And there may be things that we can obviously change, but I'm really just on the trajectory. I, I expect us as a team to be better next quarter than this quarter. And yeah. I expect next year to be much better than this year. And I, I'm more concerned about just a constant progress of journey. And I liked your, your Kaizen kind of comments that comment of it's just, that's it. It's just, it's just identifying where are the holes, where are the gaps, how can we be better? And there may be some setbacks, obviously, as the company dynamics change, right? There may be some new element, but if you're constantly in that mindset of just where are we at? How long is it taking us to close? Um, our ARs, collection efforts, the where we want them to be, and then putting in processes. Uh, I, I think you hit it on the head that the most important thing you can probably have is just a system of self-review and yeah. self-accountability, right? Yeah. If you have that in place with your team and you're constantly monitoring that and making sure that function is working, then naturally you should be progressing in the right direction, right? Is that well, correct? It's, it's, it's ownership, right? And then helping right. them feel ownership or the metrics. You know, I remember we were at a 45 DA DSO and, you know, we wanted to drive that down and I suggested, okay, let's get to 30 and then let's get to 40. Like I, I like how you said, right? You just let's get to 25. And, you know, so then the team started to own it and they said, well, could we ever get to 10? And I said, let's go for it. Go right. So, so last quarter we got to, we had a, we had an average of nine days, uh, these sales outstanding and it's all their credit. I mean, they just did such a wonderful job. So I'd like your point. And, and that's really my thought too, is just continue nice progress every week, every month, every year, you know, that we're, we're continually making progress. There are certain key things where we could talk about audits and reporting and closing the books. They just have to get done, but then what are the other things that we're doing that's just sucking our time that maybe we can do a little bit better or yeah. is there a process we can put in place or whatever it is? Yeah. Uh, there's this quote by, by Patrick Lencioni. That's one of my favorites that always stuck to me regarding teams. It says that the, the only successful measure of a team is whether it accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. So yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't matter what it is. It's just, if you want your DSO to drop from 45 to 30, can you make that happen? Right. And so um, I think, you know, in your self-review process, you know, for me is that, you know, I I try to make realistic attainable goals, but for me, it's creating that discipline and the ability to say, all right, I want my DSO to go from 45 to 40 and it is going to happen. Right. Maybe it's not a drop from 45 to 30. Maybe it's just a 45 to 42 or whatever it is, but just having that ability and that power to indicate it's going to be this and make it happen is incredibly powerful with the finance organization just to 
Well, and helping people see, like, I remember another thing that we worked on was our days to close. And there was a lot of like, well, who cares? Like, I don't, I'm not, a, we're not a public company. We don't need to, you know, and I'm not saying the team was like this, but I could get the set, right? Like, I understand, right. and I understand why they said that. But then we started talking about the why. Well, if we're able to close in three days, you're not like agonizing over closed for 15 days. And we're able to start talking about forecasts much sooner. And we're, you know, those kind of conversations. And then you make that connection. Same with BSO. Like, hey, every day we, we, we then pick up, you know, X thousands of dollars in cash, right? That, that just comes quicker to the company. So I think, you know, ownership and, and giving and letting people see like, hey, I own this number and I'm driving towards something. And it's, I'm not going out there saying, well, you know, so-and-so this DSO. And so we need to be that like we're our own company and we need to make sure we're doing that. So the ownership and then connecting the why, I think it is a big, is a big help, you know, to see, well, why are we doing this? Cause otherwise it's just, are we chasing a metric that Kevin's made up in his head? Um, <laughs> That's right. What's a vanity metric or whatever, like let's understand together. And if it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Let's have that discussion. Right. All right, well, let, let's talk about your monthly close. Right now, currently, how quickly is Simple Nexus closing their monthly books? So on average, about two and a half days is our monthly close today. That, that's pretty fast. That's really yeah. fast. Okay, so yeah. tell us your process. Walk us through how are you able to achieve such a quick monthly close and what, what's kind of like your, your monthly close calendar at a high level? What does it look like? And what's the structures you put in place to achieve that? Sure. So I think the first thing is, you know, we're trying to close throughout the month is really the, the first step that we put in place. So we have a weekly close meeting. It's 30 minutes. So I'd, again, I don't want to create a whole bunch of meetings and time suck, um, but we'll go through certain items. So, you know, we touched on this a little bit earlier. You maybe mentioned this bonus, right? So the bonuses don't change. So there's no reason we couldn't book that in week two. Mm -hmm. right? So then I don't have to deal with that booking now, right? Like I, I booked that accrual because it's not going to get paid out until the end of the year. It, the, we don't have that many new bonus people coming on. Depreciation. If we make a slight change in our policy, which says, hey, if we acquire an asset in a month, we begin depreciation the month subsequent. I could book depreciation in week one. You know, those, those types of just, you know, again, those came as a result of Kaizen events and, and just talking about, well, why do we do it that way type of a thing? So the first is really that weekly close cadence. And again, the teams just run with that. I just love how much they've, they've said, hey, well, what can we pull forward into the month? So the reality is some of them might have a 15-day close. So if, if you kind of look at it, we probably have like a five or a seven-day close, but we're spreading it out through the month. And so instead of staying till eight o'clock at night or nine o'clock at night, trying to hit some crazy two and a half day thing, there's just, those things are already done. They're already booked. So it begins with that checklist, though, as you touched a little earlier on with some of those minimal viable product or, you know, thing is what is your closed checklist and what are the days? Let's lay that out. And then what kind of the things can we pull forward so that, that the two and a half or three days becomes very realistic? So okay. that's the first thing um, that we do. We, you know, we look at. Um, again, what are the things we can close early, but also we use kind of a process that, you know, I was able to learn from ADP. I worked there for about a decade. Is really just looking at the general ledger and comparing, you know, day over day or comparing the budget and forecast and allowing us to do reviews fairly quickly um, in an Excel pivot table where we just look at the GL more frequently. So it's not like a mad dash at the end and I'll change all these things and reclass again throughout the month. We're looking and saying, oh, that needs to move here. That needs to go there. So every week we'll post a new weekly, what's the GL for the month? 
um, so we can quickly see week over week what's changing, what's going on, and then compare it to the budget and forecast. Should we have some accruals or things that we need to set up because we haven't seen an invoice from this uh, vendor or this marketing uh, type of a thing? And then on, on the actual close, we have a daily, again, 30-minute uh, close meeting, run through the general ledger together with the team, just make sure everything um, is lining up the way we have. So we have finance who's there, you know, so he can kind of opine on this is where we budgeted or forecasted this, this looks light, you know, that type of thing, the controller, of course, and then and the accounting team. So between, like I said, I would say more frequent reviews and, you know, and closes, I think we were able to kind of expedite the actual month and close. So to give a flavor, you know, same thing with the, the year end, we closed in five days. Uh, so so it seems like there, there's, there's two elements that are, well, there's three. I mean, obviously one is, uh, obviously probably most important is the Kaizen concept, right? Constant improvement and challenging assumptions. And why are we doing this way? You know, never accepting that you've always done it this way and trying to figure out how to do it better, right? Obviously that there's a, a heavy reliance, it looks like on, on assumptions, uh, excuse me, estimates, right? Making estimates for, um, you know, I mean, the the bonuses uh I, I was assuming you know payroll right i mean let, let, let's let's talk through that just a little bit so you know in payroll which i think is the is the major one in any given month you may have you know obviously you have your salary which is very simple to predict and your bonuses you may have reimbursements right that may have occurred from the previous month and whatnot so i'm assuming with with that you are just making uh, I mean, as they come through, you probably put in some kind of system in place where immediately as reimbursements come through, you are able to either make an estimate of what those are and then accrue for it later or and adjust for it later. Or how does that work? Like, yeah, so we used, you know, just to give some, you know, we used Expensify before. I'm sure lots of folks use them. So again, it was just what was outstanding that was in the month, you know, run the report, book the accrual. So you, yes, there's an estimate, but I would say there's a lot of weight behind it. You know, so the payroll, same type of thing, the bonus. It's, it is what it is, right? The depreciation, that is the number. It's, mm -hmm. it's not like, yes, you're booking an accrual, uh, you know, but like it's, that is the number. So in our case, we moved to Divi now. And so it's just live. So we make sure that those are put in. It, it requires our, one of our accountants and she's just fantastic at it. She just chases people, get Got your, it. you know, get this in, get her seat in. And then again, we can run the report and show anything that's you know, kind of out there, but hasn't been completed because it needs a receipt or some sort of classification. Mm -hmm. We book the accrual and, you know, and that's probably my FP&A background. You know, a lot of, I think, financial accountants, you know, and, and I love them for it. You know, they're, they're, they're ticking in time to the penny. And if it's off, I used to have a controller. She was just so great. If it was off a couple of pennies, I'm like, move on. Like, it's okay. And she's like, no, no, no. I have to find out what happened. <laughs> so I think, I think yeah. that's part of the, the, the innate part of And so for me, from an FPNA side, I go, eh, not like quite lick the finger, but yeah, it's like within 10 bucks, move on. Like no one's yeah. going to lose their mind. It's, it's well within a materiality threshold. You know, we're not having this kind of stuff move around. That's weird. So I think getting comfortable with, you know, Hey, it's probably 99.5% of what it should be. No one's going to care. Yeah. Right. Like no one's caring about the $10 that it's rounded or even a hundred, you know, obviously depends on your company size, but um, you know, so, and I don't want to sound very flippant and, you know, who cares, but I think that's the kind of stuff that people can get mired in that really, in my opinion, that's very much that doesn't add a lot of value and it makes people feel good. And like, Hey, I ticked and tied to the penny and, and everybody goes, right. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, kind of a thing. So yeah, I think that's I, another piece of it is comfort level with 
How do you create those estimates? And again, constant review. Hey, we booked this as a payroll accrual. It reversed. Here's the actual payroll that came in. How did we do? And if right. it was a, a decent amount off, it's like, ooh, geez, okay, let's let's go review again how we're accruing. Or we have more people starting at the end of the month than at the beginning. We need to adjust how we're accruing for that. Those types of conversations are super healthy. And again, you know, you might you obviously don't want to miss by a mile and have things cross periods, but you know, again, that's that constant review and how are we doing and not letting yourself just kind of get, you know, lackadaisical in how things are created and, and you know, checking, you know, how, how close did we do? And, and taking pride in that, like, yeah, man, we were 99% of the way there. High five, move on, you know, keep going. Got it. Okay. No, I, I like that. I like that. That's fantastic. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, I mean, you've established that, you know, you get a two day close, which is great. And that if you're willing to challenge some assumptions and kind of work through it, you can, you could, you too can probably drive towards that type of close. What in your mind, just in your monthly close process, what are the deliverables that you're giving to the executive team? And I guess, and the board, if you have a monthly reporting, like I'll, I'll give you an example of what I do. So I have uh, a, a flash report. I like to do a flash report within five days, business days of the monthly of the month in close. And that's just, it's high level. It's talking about, you know, things that we know for sure it's revenue, um, maybe other, you know, core KPIs, but it, it's meant to be, uh, like, like it is, it's a flash report. It's a quick reporting. I usually do it in a, in a presentation type format that I can just send out as a PDF and it gives executives real quickly where we, what do we do on bookings? Um, you know, these high level quick, uh, you know, finalized metrics that we can get. And then later on mid month, once I've got the P and L finalized, that's what I'm sending out my budget versus actual with commentary. And then my third major reporting is what I call my, you know, my management deck, right. Which is my larger, um, you know, I mean, depending on the company, I mean, my previous company, we, we produced like a, it was like an 80 page deck because we had consolidations and international entity was pretty comprehensive, but um, it's just, it's your in-depth view of explaining the financials, right? Why are the financials where they are, what's happening, and then providing the context. Uh, and that's distributed out to the, the executive team. So I'm curious what your cadence of reporting and what the content is for, for your team. Yeah, no, so it's a great question. So we're higher, highly focused on making sure that our executive team is very engaged in the process. So call it day three, you know, we're again, we're kind of wrapping up day two and a half ish that gives our, our director of finance time to then go in and, and start pulling things together. Um, so he, he meets with every one of our department heads and, and reviews their numbers. Here's what your actual, here's what your forecast, here's what your budget was, here are the, the major changes. Are there any major things we want to change in the forecast or that we should consider? What, what did we learn new, right? Did, do we need to spend more on you know, food or do we need to spend less on travel or whatever it ends up being? Mm -hmm. Let's think about the next couple months because my kind of charge to him is, hey, like you should get really good at the quarter. Like the quarterly should be really pretty dead on because you know the hiring, you know a lot of the, the other expenses. So you know that's the conversation. And at the same time, he then takes them up to another level with his how's the rest of the year and what we're moving towards is an 18 month. So how's your 18 month rolling starting to look? What should we consider? What account do you need? You know, what's changing in the model? So he's doing that typically day three and a half, day four, uh, because our, our deliverable, our first deliverable is same time, day five. Um, but what we're delivering is uh, what I'd say probably that full package to the board. Mm -hmm. So uh, with, you know, commentary, 
uh, we'll have you know the PL key metrics, balance sheet, you know, the, the normal, the normal um, financial statements. Um, and then like I say, a little bit of commentary. I, I feel lucky our boards and our investors are pretty pretty light that way, I think is mm-hmm. um, how I'd say it. Not to say that they're just turning a blind eye or anything. I think there's a lot of trust there and it's come from, I think, creating this cadence and that the, the metrics were hitting them and were, were predictable. So day five is, is typically when we're either finishing that or, and they haven't really given us a deadline. Um, it's the day five, day six, mm-hmm. we're sending that out to the board saying, here's how the last month went. Um, and immediately day six, day seven, we're finalizing a forecast, working with the president and our CEO to then run through that and say, here's how things are shaping up for the rest of the quarter, the year, and then again, eventually the 18 month mark so that they have good visibility into where we're headed. And then, like I say, I feel pretty fortunate. We're pretty pretty light um, from a reporting perspective. And then of course, mm-hmm. we have a board meeting every quarter um, where we have a fair amount of more metrics to go together. but. For the most so part, that's kind of our deliverables. So you provide the reporting, and then also, I think this is great. You also, you know, in short order, you update your rolling forecast with the close month, right? Make any mm-hmm. if there's any necessary adjustments or whatever that need to be, and then you're presenting. When you're presenting the forecast to your executive team, is that uh, is that a in a presentation format? Is that an actual like spreadsheet or model that has maybe some graph outputs in it that you're looking at? What what are they actually looking at? I'm curious. Yeah, we haven't done outputs and graphical things. It's probably a, a next you know kind of thing to continue to see the visualization of the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but today we actually leverage. I mentioned it earlier. Our it's called our GL detail process for we, we use access and some other tools to pull it together. Mm-hmm. But we're sending them an Excel file that shows them a rolling 13 months their current month, uh, you know, so again, with including the current month compared to forecast and budget, which includes headcount. Mm-hmm. So they can quickly see, here's how I'm running from a trend perspective, not graphically, that might be a good ad, and I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a variance to budget and forecast so that we can then have a quick conversation and say, you know, should we look at this a little bit or is this an anomaly? We have some, it would also help inform our commentary, right? Here's the, here's the major variances and we also talked with the department head to get more context on what happened. Oh, I, you know, I, we're going to go to this trade show, but it pushed to the next month or it pushed a couple of months. So we can already kind of give a heads up like, hey, this is, this is not going to be a, an assumed savings in the full year. We're going to need to push this forward. It's a timing difference type of a thing. And it allows us, again, to have a better context in that regard. So um, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's really pretty, it's a pivot table um, with a rolling 13 and, and a variance. And again, we also include the headcount in it. So um, I love the idea of some, some graphs or some, some things to just kind of visualize that. That's great. Uh, well, we're running, we're running short on time, but one thing I did want to have you touch highlight on is your technology stack. What are you using and what are the critical tools that you have at your disposal right now that enable you to have a quick and efficient monthly close and the reporting that you're wanting? Could you review that a little bit? For sure, yeah. So we use NetSuite is, uh, you know, our accounting system. And I would say that has really allowed us to scale, you know, so we, when I got to Simple Nexus, it's about $10 million in ARR. We just passed 30 million in December. And we really haven't needed to add any more accounting staff uh, because we've built into NetSuite the billing and that kind of thing. So I'd say, you know, folks out there, it's not always the best time to go to, to that's when you got to look at it. QuickBooks, a lot of folks are on and mm-hmm. I understand it. 
it's just what it, what does it make sense? What's on the, the growth trajectory? And again, going back to our prior conversation, can you spend more time, you know, reviewing and, and driving value versus doing billing? So NetSuite is our billing engine, it's accounting. So we've got it set up to do a lot of our, you know, prepaid accruals and those kind of things. So again, it's set it and forget it type of a thing, um, which is, you know, why you're going to pay $30,000, $40,000 for this piece of software, right? You should mm -hmm. see it replacing a person or two right. it should um so netsuite's the, the the major engine uh we have salesforce here at uh at simple nexus so we have an integration between salesforce and netsuite so as contracts get done they come over into netsuite they create a change record the, the team then goes on and approves it makes sure that the billing set up right and again they move on so that helps as well to kind of facilitate this you know, prior it was kind of emails and someone would go in and hopefully update something that, that came as a result of a Kaizen event that the team went through as well. Like how can we make this process go better? So NetSuite, uh, Salesforce, uh, we use Divi uh, for our um, expense uh, reporting. Just, it became very straightforward for us to be able to, um, you know, give people a budget, they stick to it. And, you know, as long as the receipts are there, away we go and we run some reporting. Love to see them get a better NetSuite integration, but that's a, another thing. Um, okay. But no, so it's, it's, those are really the, I would say the major um, tech stack that we have. Of course, we, you know, Microsoft Office, you know, we use Access a fair amount. Mm -hmm. um, this little bit of my background um, is writing, you know, uh, I had a great mentor in that, in that regard, and he helped me kind of see the, the things you could facilitate and, and do. And I'm, that's one that, uh, I need to get out of that and stop doing that because it just creates this tech debt. Because if I die or get hit by a bus or whatever, like I'm the one that's written the tool. Mm -hmm. And so that's, to me, it's a risk. So I'm trying to figure out how do we get that in the NetSuite or how do we find a tool that creates this general ledger view that we have that doesn't rely on me. It's, we have an account running it, but it's in, in a database if it breaks, I've got to go fix it. So it's not a great solution. Have you ever looked or have you ever considered like, you know, those, those tools like uh, host analytics and those FP&A type centric tools, you ever considered any of those? And I'm curious what your thoughts yeah. are on those. So we used a couple, I mean, I've so used Hyperion and it's, I've had quite a few um, and it just escaped me the name, the, the, the tool that we used uh, for NetSuite has a tight integration mm -hmm. with everything. It's, it's the time and effort you spend to it and, and what you're willing to put into it, I think. And so, that's a, that's a big debate for us right now. We, we've invested, I should say, I guess it's another tool. We're investing in grow.com due to our uh, visualization uh, for the teams. So for all of our dashboarding, um, the, the idea and what I like that is it's low code or no code. So the team can kind of learn how to, you just connect up the data sources and away you go versus, and I'm not trying to pick on a Domo or a Tableau, but you have to almost have someone program and, and really know how to run that stuff in a real serious way and when you're talking about you know the financial guilt it's tough to say hey i need two heads to go run your, your <laughs> VM tool like, right right uh, i get it so, no. so yeah i'd say those are the three so visualization of course is, is grow.com or will be eventually today it's excel um netsuite uh and uh divi okay well last question for you before we wrap up is uh compensation structure for your finance team now sales is obviously easy you're, you're attributing it to bookings but finance is a little bit more 
you know, there's, there's a lot going on there, right. And depending on their, on their resources. And so I know a lot of finance teams, they'll have this, you know, they'll have a salary and there'll be some, some kind of bonus concept. I'm not sure how it is set up simple nexus, but assuming you do, uh, how would you tie, what are the KPI and structures for compensating and properly motivating your team from a financial standpoint? Well, how do you, how do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think it's what I'll start high level on bonus in general. I'm a big believer, and this is how all of our bonuses across the company are structured. 60% or 70% is tied to company performance. I love it. So how do, how do we do on revenue? How do we, you know, because again, the pitch is the company does great. You share in that, that greatness. And so it's great. You know, last year, I feel again, fortunate that the, the industry did so well. And so did we. And we paid out a higher bonus because the company did really well. And that was an easy conversation with the board. Like, yeah, like, hey, guys, we overperformed 120%. So, yeah, we, we paid out a higher bonus, but that had escalators. It's just, you know, so time, so 60 to 70% of across the board, everyone's bonus is tied to company performance. Love that. Uh, and then there's that 40, 30% that is, um, uh, we'll call it, you know, individually based on a quarterly basis. How are you doing on a quarterly we didn't want to set up an annual because people said an annual goal and then, you know, call it the first quarter, they're gun ho and they remember it. Second quarter, I had a goal. And then third quarter, it's like, did we set goals? I don't even know what the goal was, right? So it becomes this like, yeah. and so what we want to do is like, hey, every quarter, what are the things you're going to get done? It's very OKR driven. What do you want to get done? How? So it becomes very personal. It's a lot on the manager to make sure that they're following up and saying, what are you doing and what can you do? So your questions, in my case, uh, you know, I have a couple of my, my folks that are, are bonus eligible. So it's project related. How's grow.com getting stood up? How is our process for flow? You know, those kind of metrics that, that they feel very connected to. I feel very, you know, good and that we're driving in the right direction. So it's a little vague in, in my answer, but it's really personal on that 40% um, side mm-hmm. of things to make sure that it's, ultimately driving what we need. And then, you know, we do it all again in the next quarter to, and I think it's a long enough time that people can have an impact, but short enough that people aren't going, oh, snack goal again, you know, type of. I, I agree. It's funny, the behaviors. I, I love that you have the 60 to 70% company. I, I totally and a hundred percent endorse that. One of my hardest challenges uh, in, in a previous life was getting sales on board with that, right? Um, you know, sales is just so, they're so coin operated, especially, you know, and just having part of their compensation, any part, even if regardless, you know, not to mention a majority portion of it be aligned with company performance was a, a big fight. And if you can get that in your culture, I think it's just, it's fantastic, right? Because it just aligns everyone, right? Well, and, I, and it, it does align everybody. And so for me in past life, that was a, the alignment was with call it the EVP or the head of sales was aligned. Yeah. There. But the individual reps and those kind of things was very driven based off of right things and, and that kind of thing. So yeah, it's, it, it helps, it helps us. And I'm like the last job and, you know, the sales leader saw, gosh, I can help influence you know, EBITDA, it can help influence revenue because mm-hmm. if I don't give a bunch of credits, I can influence bookings. That's the big one, but you know, I, there's two I can help with too. So, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's very, it's very individual, I think for the companies, but you know, our CEO and I agree with him, you know, it can just become this part of like, well, I just shelled out because I didn't really set anything. So, and it just becomes part of their base really. Right. But I'm of the opinion, like, Hey, can we, create goals that are exciting from a company perspective. So they say, yeah, I, wanna, I can go and pack this number. And then the second part is, 
can you create individual goals that get them excited about their personal progress and how they impact? Great. Well, Kevin, this has been fantastic. This has been very enlightening for me. I've learned a lot and I really appreciate your time. Um, And this is great. Uh, We appreciate uh, the time you've been able to spend with us. So um, yeah, please tune in again for another episode of a CFO leader.com podcast and we'll, we'll check y'all later. Thank you. Thanks, Anthony.